0: I think that people are very surprised at how little cannabis you actually need to get those effects.
1: This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome
2: back to the episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Christina Wong, cannabis food, drink, travel, writer, and creator. Christina, thanks for taking the time. How are
1: you doing today?
0: Hey, guys. How are you? I'm great, thanks.
1: Excited to dive in. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Really excited to talk to Christina. Really excited to learn about how cannabis and food are paired and how they should be paired together. Um, and really excited to have another West Coast uh representative on the
2: podcast finally yeah i don't know i don't know if we can talk about that we got a lot to dive into today (laughs) culinary wise no christina for the record please your location
0: i am in los angeles california
2: all right kellen that's for you thank you thank you hey it's been a lot of
1: east coast got people on recently you know what i
2: mean i can't cheer for that one so (laughs) christina if our listeners aren't familiar you can give a little background about yourself
0: yeah, I am a cannabis food drink and travel writer, creator, podcast host. Um, I started my career in PR working in food and restaurants. I did a lot of work with the farm to fork movement and teaching people about how to eat healthier food, organic food. And then now I find myself in cannabis. And I, as I was learning about from farmers, like how does it grow all the way from seed to shelf? I was looking at the landscape and I realized that, you know, this is very similar to organic food and being able to use these stories and these analogies to help teach people how to appreciate their cannabis in the same way that they'd appreciate their food and make choices that align with their values and their ethics and their lifestyle. So that's what I do now. I create beautiful culinary cannabis content and that teaches people about how to eat and dose their weed.
2: Yeah, I mean, you, you absolutely do. And I think one of the things that people are going to be surprised to hear is that the intersection of culinary and cannabis isn't just the gummies or the brownies. There Ooh. are other things. So t- talk to us today. What is currently happening and where is that intersection for, for culinary and cannabis?
0: Absolutely. And so like I think people have been cooking and baking with cannabis and there's always things have been passed around. You know, of course, like the column in high times, um, ganja gourmet has had so many beautiful recipes. But when we think about edibles today, modern edibles, it's mostly gummies, chocolates. There's a growing category of savory snacks, which I am obsessed with. I think it's great. Less sugar is better. But also um, cooking and baking with cannabis at home can be a really affordable and accessible way of getting access. And you can control what you're putting in. Uh, a lot of the Products that are available on the market, um, you know, you don't always know. Or, you know, is it made with a distillate? Is it made with delta eight, delta nine? It, it can become very confusing. And so, learning to cook and bake at home was really overwhelming at first. Like my my like my head hurt; it was exploding. And I was just like, "Wait, am I get how fucked up am I going to get? Am I doing this right?" And I had so many concerns. And I was googling, I was looking in Reddit, I was going in forums, and it was incredibly overwhelming. There's so much advice. And the question I kept coming back to was, all right, but how much, how much flour do I use to get this much in my edible? And everyone's like, oh, I'll just make it and try take a nibble and try it and you'll find out. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't like that. I, I would like to know with some certainty of how much I'm getting. And so for a lot of people in states where it is not legal, or maybe it's medical accessible or you are able to grow at home it can become a very cook, learning how to cook and bake at home can become very affordable like i'll say like you go spend what $25 on a bag of gummies you can go spend $25 on a pretty like low mid grade on sale um, batch of flour and turn that into more edibles than you would get in that bag of gummies
2: where did you get involved in this? How did you get first get hooked on the idea of it? Were you always interested in cooking and then applied it with cannabis? Were you a big fan of cannabis and then applied to cooking? How did you get started
0: I love food. Food is life. I mean, the pursuit of eating food, cooking food. I'm not a professional chef by trade or by training. I just love to cook. I've spent a lot of time working in the culinary and the food industry, talking to chefs in my previous career, doing PR branding and marketing for a restaurant group. Um, I wrote a lot. I ghost wrote a lot of recipes. So that's where I learned just kind of like that, that food world. And then I was baking a lot. Um, I just really enjoy baking because I like to eat it. And a lot of like the baked goods have too much sugar. They're too sweet. So I enjoy making my own recipes. And I got my start in the cannabis industry because I worked at Papa and Barkley. They're one of um, California's leading wellness companies. So they have the topicals. They now have edibles and gummies and all sorts of things. But it was working there and just learning about the plant from the farmers. And there's this one guy there. I call him my master teacher. His name is Hector. And he is a medical patient. So he uses high doses of cannabis to manage his pain. And he loved to cook and bake. So he'd come to my office and he'd bring me like whatever he baked. And we'd sit there and talk in my office. And I'd ask him so many questions. And he was so patient to explain to me. And he one day he handed me one of their tinctures. And he's like, here take this bottle of tincture, there's so much of it, it's free here in the office, and like start with this and you can dose it properly. So I used the tinctures to learn how to dose properly. And then that built my confidence of how to make this at home. Then that kind of expanded out. But um, he really taught me everything. And it was really nice to have somebody who was trusted, who cared, and was patient enough to answer all my questions.
1: how do you eating edibles prior to kind of going on this journey. Like I'm thinking of like, you know, in college, maybe having a brownie or two that maybe wasn't exactly dosed properly.
0: We've all had that experience. I had a, uh, somebody left a quad dose edible in my fridge and I just kind of left it there for a long time. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this. I wasn't a huge cannabis edibles consumer. I had smoked a little bit. I had a terrible experience when I was young and like giant bong rip. And I ended up, barfing for hours. And so I didn't actually touch cannabis for a very long time. I was around it. I was a lot around a lot of friends. It was very like, I was just like, this isn't, I thought that it wasn't for me. I my body didn't respond well. And it turns out I just didn't respond well to humongous amounts of cannabis and THC in one dose. And so once I learned about like low dose and starting low and going slow, that's when it all changed for me. And so before I knew anything, before that job in Pop and Berkeley, I was like, one day I was like, Oh, let's eat that edible in the fridge. Let's, let's have some fun. And I popped that quad dose. Oh boy. It was not good. Like it, it was just like this wall of high hit me. It was so horribly uncomfortable. My partner at the time had one and like, he saw creatures and he was freaking out. I was trying to get him to calm down. Like he was like, no, it's not safe here. I was worried he was going to get in the car and drive. And so it's interesting. You know, I got into, I, I get into like little tips with people about dosing for edibles. And a lot of people who are high dose will say, "Um, you know, like, oh, you know, anything under 50 milligrams is weak and I don't feel anything unless it's 500 milligrams or more. And it's like, okay, good for you. But for most people, um, you know, eating an edible that has too much for you has adverse effects, and it doesn't feel good. And it isn't going to help bring new kind of curious users um, into trying it. So by providing low dose safe ways to experience it, and then for my recipes, you can just increase the dose to your personal level and what you want. But that quad dose experience like it was really intense. And while I didn't go to the hospital, I knew I was going to be fine. But like, you know, there's this reefer madness 2.0 going on in the media. And you see these reports in the news of like, you know, hospitalizations among children who've been, who's consumed or people who've consumed too much marijuana have increased by however many, you know, thousands of percent. I was like, one, it's more accessible, but also there's a lack of education about how do we dose. And these articles that are written for beginner levels are not dosed for beginners. And that's my biggest concern.
2: I think that's a massive concern. And I think so many people have that horrific edible story, mainly with the brownie. <laughs> and always lean on that when they see edibles now, especially the, the people who are kind of curious, because I think you're exactly right, that the people who are interested, but are just so fearful because of that previous experience, uh-huh. if they have an off-putting experience like the next time, they're pretty much gone forever, right? They'll probably never try cannabis again. And uh-huh. I think that next experience is so critical. So for someone at home, right, they, they want to set up a dosing, they're interested, they're liking to try, how do they know dosing? How does that work? Because in my experience, I've got a friend who's always like the more the merrier, which I think you might find not to be accurate. So how would you go about getting started with dosing?
0: I think dosing is really personal. I think like, let's start there, right? Dosing is very personal to each person. And I need 10 milligrams. That's, I started at five. I've now gone up to 10 and 10 a good place. I could probably do a little more. Um, but my smoking tolerance is significantly higher. I can dab and do bong hits because I smoke a lot. That's actually my personal preferred method of consuming rather than edibles. But with edibles, I think if you don't know start low. Start at five milligrams and just start increasing until you feel it. And so for some people who are medically or or a much higher tolerance, their body maybe processes it differently. Um, they might need 20 milligrams, 30, 50, hundreds even. Um, but I'm like, I always say, if you don't know, start low. And how do we know how to dose? Math. Like, there's, you know, can of, can of math is very real. And there's a lot of variables that can affect the dosing, which is why I think that typically when I read articles that explain how to make can of butter, how to make edibles for beginners, they're they're riffing on articles and things that have written by somebody else in the past. And in the past, The people who are making edibles tend to be high dose consumers. So they're passing along verbal knowledge. They're passing along um, an oral history of how they do something. And so the flour that was used um, or, you know, you're using shake or trim because you don't want to waste the plant. The shake and trim has much lower potency. But now not everybody has access to shake and trim. Uh, The easiest thing we all have access to is flour from the cannabis dispensary. So that cannabis has a percent THC. We can do the math, work backwards and make certain general assumptions. So I can say, okay, if I'm making one batch of pot brownies, let's assume my pot brownies are, I make nine squares of brownie. That's pretty big. That's a nice like, mouthful of brownie, that's five milligrams times nine, you only need 45 milligrams. It's very, very small, like less than like a nickel sized amount. It's like 0.25 grams when you do the math to get five in one brownie. But if you want to do 100, then you need to multiply that up. And I think that people are very surprised at how little cannabis you actually need to get those effects.
2: I think that's perfectly well said. I'm just laughing thinking about the fact that the difference between milligrams and grams, quite different.
0: Absolutely. And like what was like, so like the thing that I got into a whole tiff about was like this article written in like, it was like a major like news and culture publication in which I know their audience is middle America, doesn't really have access to legal cannabis yet. And the article said, you know, like, okay, for a beginner batch of brownies, you should start with about an ounce, which would be 28 grams. And I was like, no, that is not a beginner dose. Let me do the math for you. If we do the math, then each brownie, I'm going to cut my brown, pan of brownies into 16 squares just to, be, right, just to give you the benefit of the doubt. Each brownie about this big would have been between uh, the range that they gave because there's so much variable in there would have been anywhere between 300 to 400 milligram per bite of brownie. I'm like, that is gonna make anyone sick. Most people, majority of people who might grab this article unknowingly make it. And the journalist I was talking to is like, well, you know, I admittedly know more about the science than the dosing. And I'm like, then why are you writing this? Just quote me, I like, let me help you do the math. And so that's kind of my gripe right now where I'm like, people are writing recipes that are saying, okay, use a one-to-one ratio. I'm like one-to-one ratio of what? There's so much variation in that. And uh, I think people say like, well, you don't use the whole batch. You like dose out a little bit and you taste how you feel and then you add this and subtract that. I'm like, that's confusing. Can we just, like when we make, when we, look at a recipe. Like I I look at this from the perspective of a home cook, of a home baker. If you're looking at a recipe and you're following the instructions, it should provide the amount of flour, the amount of information and all the instructions to get you to that safe dose. So I like to start my recipes at five milligrams per serving. If you want more, if you want 10, you just double the amount of flour. You want 20, you quadruple the amount of flour. And then um, I'm also doing a partnership with Skunk Magazine, with a culinary cannabis magazine that I'm starting, and we're going to do high-dose recipes. So I'm going to start writing the high-dose version of my recipes, possibly using keef or concentrates, because that won't affect your flavor as much. Because if I'm doing a res, I think I was calculating out cookies, a batch of cookies today, and it would have used like five grams of flour. And I'm like, that's going to affect the taste. So a concentrate, like, um, like I have a strawberry jelly concentrate in my fridge, that would be a much better way to get the better cannabis flavor paired with the cookie.
1: So if you're making like cookies or brownies, does the medium in which you introduce the cannabinoids change, right? If you're making like something savory versus something sweet, are you using butter, to, to dose the, the cookies versus the tincture to dose the other ones? Does that kind of change in terms of the medium?
0: I start with the food first. So whatever he okay. calls for, what is the best? Like, I'll start with the recipe. So if I'm making pasta, uh, like a handmade cannabis pasta, olive oil would be my choice. Oh, if I'm making a cake, probably butter, pie, butter. Um, I know that, you know, typically MCT oil or coconut oil is the best fat binder to get the most THC possible. But coconut oil isn't necessarily the best thing to cook and bake with because it has such a strong, overpowering coconut flavor. So I'll use coconut, like I made a coconut, a pineapple coconut cake so that would be appropriate. So for me, it's food and flavor first, and the oil or the fat that carries the THC is second. So uh, maybe it could be a cannabis milk. Like I have a recipe for cannabis-infused coffee creamer. So you can make... So I just basically infuse cannabis milk and then pour that into your coffee and you've got cannabis and coffee in the mornings. Um, you can use that to make ice creams, smoothies, boba milk teas,
1: Man, I'm getting hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do any strains or
2: terpenes influence the concoction of the meal? Do you do you try to lean in certain areas because you know they influence the taste at all? How, how do you think about that?
0: I do. I like to pair the terpene profiles and the strain profiles with the food because just like any herb, like right, if you're cooking with oregano and you're making a pasta sauce, you're not going to use a pound of oregano. It's going to overpower the flavor. You only need a little bit. And so... Uh, for me, the fun part of cooking and baking with cannabis is not only do I have um, a plant and an ingredient that affects the flavor, and there's so many variety, right? If you're cooking with a limonene versus something that's high in a linalool, um some of it cooks off for sure, so it's very subtle. But with food, it is all very subtle. It's how do these flavors work together, and I find that with baked goods and cannabis, the cannabis actually like that earthiness of it helps offset and balance the sweetness that comes from desserts, which I really like. Any strain with the limonene is a great place. If you don't know, just pick one of those because limonene is like that lemony citrus scent and citrus pairs fairly well with most dishes. So it's a safe bet. Um, But also it's effects, right? Like not only do I have an ingredient that has interesting flavors and notes and nuances, now it can affect how somebody feels. So I can pair a dessert or a dish or something with how I want someone to feel or for an event, which is even more fun.
1: Have you ever cooked with just the flour, right? Like I'm thinking of making like uh like a vegetable medley, right, in the oven and then just kind of grinding up some flour and sprinkling it on top, right? Because you can decarboxylate the flour mm-hmm. in the oven at like 150 C for like 10 minutes, right? Yeah. So you can kind of like garnish it at the end and then like finish it. Have you ever done anything like that? It's just a great thought.
0: <laughs> I yeah, you can totally do something like that. Like if I was okay, so like a dose thing, though, right? Uh, not real. I mean, not really. It depends on what you're making and you have to consider, right? How evenly is it spread? So if okay. I was doing something like that, grind grind your cannabis flour and um, measure out how much you need. So let's say you're, Wait, making, yeah. you're making one dish for yourself or maybe you and another person. So whatever your dose is, times, however, calculate that amount. And then you could just decarb it, grind it. I would make a gremolata and like make what this with like an asparagus. What
1: is a gremolata? so (laughs)
0: that's kind of like a toast okay so let me tell you what I
1: would make yeah thank you
0: and especially since it's spring I would get some really nice fresh I should write this down hold
1: on we're recording this
0: So get yourself some asparagus and then like, just kind of like pan sear it, toss it a little bit with like a little bit of olive oil. And then, um, I would probably shave like salted cured egg yolk. And then I would make like a breadcrumb herb, like a gremolata kind of like a a crunchy, crispy topping that goes on top of it. And I would put the ground flour in that. And depending on your dose, again, if you're very high dose, that's going to be a lot and it might not taste good because you'll get the weedy taste, but at very low doses, like it's like a tiny amount. So it won't affect it. It'll balance much easier. And then I would just sprinkle that with the breadcrumbs and the herbs like on top of that asparagus and then put like a nice soft poached egg on top. Magic.
2: That sounds delicious, but like my problem is going to be I'm going to eat the whole thing. And oh, for sure. I don't know how, like thinking about the dosing standpoint, like I don't know how I would tell myself, all right, this is going to be four servings and then I'm going to get started. And I'm like, well, this is, <laughs> how do you balance that?
0: That's why I like to make things low dose because I'm, I don't need to have this one dish give me like the full punch of my full potency a lot of times i'll eat edibles or i'll dose throughout the day and it gives me a nice base high with my edible and then i can smoke to feel if i want to feel more high or less so it's like comparing it to a shot yeah. i feel like there's this thing in cannabis edibles culture where it's like well that's weak i just want to eat this one brownie and get like high to my head and fucked up and to me it's edibles don't need to be about getting fucked up it can be i just want to feel better i don't want to have that wall of high hit me where like i can't function for a couple of days i mean like i love a really good solventless high like it just makes you feel really wonderful and you can choose that you know you could let's say you're like okay like i you know it's going to be delicious make it less so then you can You can always eat more cookies. You can always eat more asparagus.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's perfectly well said. And I think for me, like that changes the mindset of what what I was thinking about, right? I was thinking about going into, especially the pasta dish, because in my household, pasta is a constant with my (laughs) Italian wife. But I was thinking about the fact that like, it'd be so hard to try to dose that out, especially if it tastes as delicious as it seems, but using it as just kind of like a precursor for for later on, just and kind of mellowing yourself out is a good way for, I think, for home cooks to kind of get started and get experimenting Mm -hmm. so they don't overdo it, especially early on. So I guess the first step is, how do chefs that want to experiment with home cooking get comfortable with taking flour and then converting it into a usable form? What, What do you suggest?
0: I would say one, you should subscribe to my newsletter on Substack because I have a DIY edible section that explains step-by-step, I say in bite-sized chunks. So a lot of times I'll read these articles. If you Google like how to make edibles at home, there's a lot of articles. There's a lot of stuff out there. They're all optimized for SEO. And you don't really know exactly what, And so sifting through all the information. I was like, what, and we're always looking for what is the best, what is the most efficient way? And what I learned through the whole process was, everyone's answers and the way that they do it is correct. It is accurate. It's just a matter of what works for you, given the tools that you have available. And like start, like if you follow my newsletter, I'll give you a base. I like to recommend if you don't have anything, you're just starting out, all you need is an oven and a mason jar the easiest thing to start off with. You don't need anything fancy. Like the stovetop method is great. It's actually like I sent um, some butter samples to a lab and that was the most efficient, but I don't really have time to sit and babysit butter oil on the stove for hours. So to me, a mason jar, you put in your flour, you seal it, decarb it in the oven, it's low smell. And then you open the same jar, you put in your oil, you put it back in the oven at a different temp and you can leave it and walk away and come back when it's done. And then you already have it all in one jar. Less dishes, less mess. It's all in one thing. But that will teach you, like if you follow my step-by-step, it'll answer all those questions. Um, it'll teach you how to do of math. And then all of my recipes provide the exact amount of cannabis flour. I'm assuming 20% because... Um, if I'm making a big, broad generalization of what most people have access to these days, you know, here in California, our flower can be anywhere, you know, in the 30 to 40 percent THC. So if somebody knows that they have a high percent THC, they can adjust the math. But for most people, I think 20 percent is a good, safe assumption if you don't know. You know, 20, maybe 25. Um, I like to make like overgeneralizations because, worst case scenario, your edible might be a little bit weak, right? It's a week five or it's a week 10. Okay, cool. Then you can smoke or you can have a little bit more. But I never want to give somebody the math that would accidentally be too much.
2: And just to confirm and clarify, that would be the potency of the THC, correct?
0: Yes. So when you, if you go to the dispensary and you purchase flour on the label of your jar of flour on the bag of flour, it will say there's this much percent THC. And it's usually anywhere between 50% to like 35. And even that is controversial, but I will leave that for another episode and another conversation. Like it's, you know, there's so many variables the method that you infuse, the temperature that you infuse at, how long, the type of oil you're using, how you're baking it. That will all affect the potency of THC and the end result of the edible. But if you're making it at home, at least you can start with the math to get you in the ballpark of about how much to start. So you can feel confident knowing that like this brownie is around five milligrams instead of being like, I don't know, taste some here, try it and see what happens. And then we end up with seeing creatures on the wall. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people. And I think for some of the higher dose edibles consumers who are like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like you're just going to fall asleep. go to sleep. And I was like, But it is a big deal because people don't want to feel that way. It's uncomfortable. It can be a scary experience if you don't know. And, you know, it could set you off for the rest of the day. You can't pick up your kids, you can't do your work, or you whatever plans you had, you know, like sometimes I had to cancel the whole next day because I couldn't function.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it is a, a slippery slope, right? So if you're estimating like 20%, I mean, and I take one gram of that flour, that's 200 milligrams, right? So that would be eating every gummy in two packages at once after I bought it from like a normal dispensary, which is just, it's a lot, right? You don't even think about that when you're looking at one gram of flour in terms of like comparing it from a reference perspective.
0: And I understand, you know, why, like the way that we are taught to make edibles right now, it's been done that way because typically it's high dose consumers who need to cook. Because they can't buy or get access to that. And so for somebody who needs 100 milligrams, 200 milligrams, and like right now at dispensaries, the high dose products, right, the syrup, the 100 milligram, like I just got crackers the other day to 100 milligrams a box. Those are selling really well because high dose consumers want that because they want to eat that and they can't get enough, but it's very expensive.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's like you go to the medical dispensaries, they have access to significantly higher concentrations. And it's because they're using it for medical purposes over recreational purposes. So there is a different and I think that's probably like best place to draw a line in the sand where you differentiate between people that utilize cannabis for medical purposes to treat illnesses, and people, people who are utilizing it to kind of just like alleviate stress or for wellness purposes.
0: And even people using it for medical, just because you have a high tolerance doesn't mean it can be like a Russian roulette of dosing, you know, like they still want to know how much so <laughs> at least you can also do the math. It's just a little bit less risk for the person who is um, the medical user. He's so like
2: someone, someone here is going to go to sleep really soon. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to the oil in the oven, right? We, we finally cooked the oil. Now we feel good. How long does that stay good for?
0: It will degrade over time. Even if you like I'll I'll like pre-decarb and set it out, it'll degrade over time. That's also why I don't like to pre-make my oils and my butters and sit oh. them and like and then like dose them out little bit like according to how much and substitute in my recipe. Because that's how I end up with like little bits and bobs and jars of oils and flour. And I don't remember the potency and they sit around and it's wasteful. So I infuse exactly what I need for the recipe that I make. So then there's no waste and it's fresh.
2: I got it. That's very smart. So I guess like taking the next step would be for those home cooks at home that want to get started a little more hesitant, maybe not on the dessert side and want to incorporate into the cooking. What do you think is the easiest way to kind of experiment to get comfortable with infused cooking?
0: I'm going to say olive oil. You can do any oil, really, if you're comfortable, like um, because that's a cooking oil. You can make that. I know one cup of oil has X number of tablespoons. I want this many. One tablespoon is five milligrams. So if you're making pasta at home, you could say like, okay, like you just want to dose yours. Your wife is like, I don't want to have a dose. You can measure out your one tablespoon of olive oil, drizzle it over your pasta good. Use that with cooking oil. That's a great way to incorporate it. I mean, I like baked goods, but there's a lot of sugar. I mean, like I just like eating them. And I started making really beautiful cannabis infused desserts because I looked around at the space and I saw, you know, most of the edibles and desserts I see that people bake are like really ugly looking brownies. And I was like, I love brownies. We can do more. We can be better about like, there's more beautiful things we can make. And also it helps change the image and destigmatize what cannabis can be. You see a beautiful lemon bar, a pie, a a gorgeous layer cake. And that's something that you can bring to a family dinner to, you know, put on the table alongside a party and someone's like, wait, I had no idea. Wait, this has cannabis in it. And if you know that it's low dose, you can comfortably share it with people knowing that like they're going to have a positive experience
2: any sort of masking of the flavor or any sort of hesitations with that?
0: I don't like to advocate for masking the flavor. I think that that comes from if you're cooking and baking with a distillate or an isolate. Um, I get asked this a lot, you know, how do you mask the flavor? And when I eat edibles that have that weird bitter aftertaste, that's usually from where it comes from. I like to celebrate the natural weedy flavor because to me that tastes delicious and there's a way to pair it. A nice solventless, like a rosin whole flour hash. I love edibles made with hash and ice water hash. I think the feels good and it tastes good. It's just like kind of pushing past. We're associating the bitter taste and like this weediness. But come on, we drink wheatgrass. Wheatgrass is gross and it's going to be okay. So I like to work with the flavor of cannabis and pair it instead of trying to mask it.
1: Is there a huge difference between like um, different cannabinoids, say like a strain that has one to one CBD to THC? Do you notice like a difference in flavor pairings with those kinds of strains?
0: I think with like the one to one with like the cannabinoids, the cannabinoids doesn't necessarily have the flavor, it's the terpene profile and then ter- like the terpenes and the tea- and the cannabinoids will start to burn off at a certain temperature. So, it all varies, but when I'm baking and cooking, I try to keep my temperature below like around 340 degrees or less. If you're making something and it goes a little higher, it's okay. Like It's not going to ruin the batch. You won't get more high, if anything. Maybe if you go too high temp, some of the THC will convert to CBN and you might feel a little sleepier. Um, But generally, like I try to keep... So I adjust my baking temperature down to 340 degrees and I add on a little time at the baking so that it will account for that. So it'll still bake nicely and it'll preserve as much of the THC and the cannabinoid flavors as possible or the terpene flavors as possible
2: so just to confirm if you want to put someone you're cooking for to sleep literally <laughs> cbn
0: i think cbn's a great way i haven't really gotten down to the math of like decarbing to get to cbn that's a whole other level you know for me in my journey i'm really new at this i only really learned how to start infusing a few years ago when i started working at papa and barkley and that's why i find this to be such a fascinating place because i'm looking around i was like wait like how I'm trying to understand these recipes, but they're being written in a way that are not accessible to like the average person who doesn't know anything about cannabis. So how can I flip this? How can I do this? Where we can learn about um how to make that. But I love CBN. I mean, like if somebody wants more CBN and they want like that's how they want to incorporate it, I would say go buy a tincture that has CBN, that's an MCT oil-based or even a, an alcohol tincture, and you can use that to dose. If somebody just wants to learn how to do this at home and like, Add it into their food and like get comfortable with that. Buying like an oil based tincture at your local dispensary is the easiest, most foolproof way. Cause like I'll make a batch of cookies and I'll leave the same, the same everything and I'll just add like the amount of oil that I'm adding in from the tincture is so concentrated that it's almost negligible for baking.
2: What about the onset when people are like eating the the brownie or the pie? How long should they expect to feel before they dive into that second slice?
0: Like a standard edible, I would wait ninety minutes to a couple hours to see how you feel. With the new nanotechnology that that's available in edibles, I love them in drinks because. So, okay, let me go back and explain. So, typically with an edible, when you eat and when you ingest the edible, the THC goes into your stomach and your liver converts that delta nine THC into delta eleven, so it will feel significantly more potent than you would smoking. Traditionally, someone's making a brownie and they're like, oh, you know, I smoke this many bowls. I smoke this much joint and this is how I feel. Let's multiply that by how many number of brownies and I'll add that in. That is the incorrect way to measure how much to put in because what you smoke, the way you feel and how smoking hits you and gets absorbed in your bloodstream hits very differently than when your liver is processing it. So uh, a lot of this new technology that's available in cannabis-infused drinks and edible that you'll see fast acting on the label, they'll say nanotechnology. And that's like um, emulsification. So imagine you're making a salad dressing or mayonnaise, right? You have to to combine lemon juice and an oil. A liquid and an oil are two things that don't want to mix together. So nanotechnology, mixes those and emulsifies that and breaks it all down so that it's smaller and it absorbs when you eat it faster. So you'll feel the effects within like 15 to 20 minutes. But at home, we don't have that technology to do that yet. And so if you're making your edibles at home, it'll take, I say, wait at least 90 to two, ninety minutes to two hours.
1: What about making drinks at home?
0: Same. So if I'm making drinks at home, uh, it depends on the drink and what I'm doing. If it's milk... Can you give us an I'll- example? Yeah, like uh, like what kind of drink I'd make?
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I wrote this really. I came up with this really cool drink called the Humboldt Fog Latte uh, Ooh, for and it's a cannabis leaf tea and matcha, and um, it's like, and then it's made with like a steamed milk. It's a twist on a London Fog latte. So a London Fog is like an Earl Grey with like a steamed milk and some brown sugar vanilla. So a Humboldt Fog is cannabis leaf tea with matcha and a seems infused milk. And so what I loved about it was I saw this beautiful video from Moon Maid Farms in Humboldt, where you could see the clouds just billowing in through the pine, like the redwood forest and the pine trees and the mountains. And so when I pour the milk into this Humboldt fog latte, you see it swirling like the clouds in the mountain. And it just tastes really beautiful. And I made an infused milk to put in with that so any beverages i'll do milks i wrote a tea a cannabis tea recipe because that's something people ask me for too they don't want the sugar um honeys have sugar or like maybe they they don't want milk um or oils or butter and a lot of the cannabis tea recipe was just like just add a couple droppers of like an oil or butter into your tea and i'm like no one wants to drink oil butter tea and so a alcohol-based cannabis tincture would be a great way to do that. So um, I made that and I've been drinking that at home. So I basically take a very high proof vodka and shake up the decarbed cannabis, ground cannabis, and that will extract it in the same way. And then you can add that and measure that in in a similar way that you would do with oil
1: the coffee is so dangerous. I drink so much coffee that that would be just <laughs> not to make it ultra low dose.
0: I have cannabis coffee in the morning all the time. Either, it's either I'm enjoying like a bong hit or a joint in the morning with coffee, or if I'm making an infused creamer a little bit, I'm like my first cup of coffee is infused and not a lot, just a little bit for that interaction of the caffeine and the coffee to come together to like work its science, magic brain. Yeah. And like, that's it. Actually, my next podcast episode dropping next month is going to be all about cannabis and coffee and how the science of that works to make you feel like why there's a reason why it's called the hippie speedball makes you feel real good. Yeah, I'd have to
1: write that down. Only add this creamer to cup one, not cup 12 as well. <laughs> Start yeah. your day the right way with cannabis infused coffee. I mean, that is that it's hard. Holders, <laughs> right? <way>. Folders, right? <laughs> Watch out. So Cease good. and assist.
0: And there's a lot of like cannabis infused coffee brands coming out now, and it's, like I love it. I love the. I, I love that this is becoming a product that people can enjoy because it expands our minds of what cannabis edibles can be. It's not just chocolates and gummies. It can be coffee. It can be tea. There's like these really beautiful like savory like puff balls. It's like I'm a cheese ball fiend. Like I love junk food, and like cheese balls are my favorite. And with like, Sumo Snacks and Chef Roy Choi just came out with a spaghetti and meatball flavored like cheese ball puff and amazing
2: over so for those health conscious individuals that are interested in, in infusing i know it's switching the gears hard on that
1: one. <laughs> <laughs> just, just what the sheet
2: said if they're not interested in using the oil or the butter what ideas come to mind if they're not looking for the dessert they're looking for a healthy meal would you would it be in a dressing type what, what would you recommend
0: yeah i would say like your cooking oil that's what, olive oil is great um healthy fat, use your healthy fats, avocado oil, um, tincture, alcohol tinctures are great though. Like I mentioned, there is alcohol in them, but you can also cook, like when I make the tea, I just boil like that little bit of the alcohol in with the water and it boils off most of the alcohol. So it's very light. Also, there's a lot of really great powders that are available now. Those are generally made from isolates and distillates, but they're flavorless and you can purchase them and just add them and like dose them exactly how you want in your food and your drink. And I think that that's a really great method. Like To me, cannabis, just like food, there's a huge range of possibilities. There is fast food, there's michelin star fine dining, and there's everything in between. And we can make different choices based on our budgets, based on what's available to us, and what is the most convenient that fits into our lives of how to get that dose.
2: What is the number one takeaway people can do to improve their home-infused cooking today?
0: Do math. Learn the math. I know it feels hard. Math is hard. We've been taught that math is hard. And if my parents knew right now that I'm sitting here shouting about how math is important, they'd laugh because as a child, I sat and cried over my Kumon homework as my dad like hit my hands. And now I'm like, everybody do. (laughs) But um, besides that, (laughs) besides learn the math, I'd say like, be open and curious. Know that less is more and ask questions. I think that you know, ask questions and if you don't feel satisfied or you don't feel good about somebody's answer, like go ask again, ask somebody else, find someone who maybe aligns. who like you look at and you're like, oh, this person probably aligns with my values. Like I just got this comment on Instagram recently. I don't know if it's an I don't know how I feel about it, but I guess it's a compliment. But she was like, finally, an age appropriate cannabis educator. And I was like, fuck, I'm old. But also, yes, everyone's needs are different. So find somebody who you feel aligns with your values, what you're looking for, how you want to experience cannabis, and ask them questions. I'm so happy to answer questions and DMs. I was talking somebody through how much flour to use to make a tincture that would be like five milligrams THC in one like dropper. And so we like did the math together. And this person was finally like, Yes, I've been searching and Googling and asking for two months and like in this short conversation, like I feel more confident about what I'm doing or how much to use than I have in like those several months. And I'm like, yes. So ask questions. Don't be afraid. Uh, Less is more. You can always eat more cookies.
2: What is the best meal you've used infused and the worst meal you've made infused?
0: Best. I don't know. Every, Every meal is the best because it's always different and it's what I'm eating right now. I know, but like, I'll say one of my favorite things that I've made cannabis infused is a cannabis infused pesto pasta. So when I'm growing and I have extra leaves, so like we trim off the fan leaves. And so most people are like, oh, those are, you know, that's trash. No, you can eat those. They're really good for you and they're really healthy. So I'll take the leaves and I'll make a pesto out of it with a little bit of basil. So I make pesto and then I'll take the leaves and I press them and I make a handmade pasta. So fresh eggs for my chickens. I'll infuse olive oil, and then I make handmade pasta and press those leaves into it and then cut it into like pappardelle strips. And then that gets tossed with the cannabis leaf pesto, a little bit of ricotta, some lemon zest, peas, mint, and it's a beautiful, beautiful springtime dish. It's beautiful. It's impressive. It's using all the parts of the plant so you're not wasting. Um, and it's something that like you would see at a nice restaurant the worst thing I've had, I would say, I don't know the worst I've made. I make a lot of really like bad dishes, but I think like the worst experience when it comes to edibles is when I go to an event or a dinner or a party and there's infused food, there's infused everything. There's infused beverages, there's a dab bar, there's a flower bar, infused food. And if things aren't labeled and I don't know how potent they are and there's no other alternative of food or drinks that are not infused, that's a bad experience. Because I went to one and I was just standing, I did a huge fat dab and then I was like, and then I became paranoid and I was standing there and I'm like, I'm so hungry, but everything here is infused and I don't know how infused they are and I don't know how much more, I don't know how much more high I can get because I also need to get back in the car to drive home. And I also don't want to be like, I I don't, but I was very self-conscious of how I would be or feel at this event. And so I'm saying like at, if you're hosting, if you're branding, you're hosting events and you have edibles, um, always have uninfused snacks and drinks and beverages, because when you're high, all you want to do is eat. And when there's nothing but infused food, it's very difficult. So Um, Whenever I'm hosting infused parties or events on my own, I generally like to put the infusions on the side. So I'll make sauces and like different things that people can add on so that they can dose on their own according to their own potency. So if somebody has a low dose, they don't have to add the extra sesame oil. They don't have to add the extra sprinkle. But generally, I like to have a lot of like smoking things and then like nice, cold, hydrating, crunchy things for people to enjoy.
1: It's pretty funny. It's like back in Prohibition when they were like, hey, we're throwing uh, this party with all this alcohol. We should probably also serve water, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, please have
0: water, plenty of water at your cannabis, at cannabis events.
1: It's
2: going to take a second to salvate over the meal you just said you were going to prepare. That I mean, that was, that sounded spectacular. I mean,
0: One of the most fun things I did, I also wrote about an article about how to do this for Thrillist, but it was, um, I did a Chinese hot pot. So hot pot is like a Chinese fondue, basically, like you just do like boiling water broth, and then you dip different meats and vegetables and seafoods into it to cook, and then you eat it with sauces. So... Uh, We did a whole infused hot pot and all of this, we had like sauces from Potley, there was um, infused chili oils, there were shrimp chips. So all the things around it were infused so that people could kind of add and mix and match and make their own. Um, But the food itself was not. And it was such a nice way to experience it. I mean, and there's a cultural element. It's bringing in cannabis and for me personally with my culture and um, being able to destigmatize it within my community.
2: How do you dose that with the sauces, especially the delicious ones? You just want to put more on top. How do you dose that?
0: So like, I'll say like, okay, like here's like an infused sesame oil or chili oil. One teaspoon has this much. So somebody can say, okay, this much. And like, you're not going to eat it all. You're kind of like dipping, but at least like you can keep a tally in your mind. I always joke. I'm like... We should really have sharpies where you can like tally on your arm, like how much you had over the period, like over the evening. Um, because it's like between a day, de- I'm like, I also know okay, an edible is going to last a lot longer, it's going to kick in, it's going to take this long to kick in. If I smoke, it'll feel this way. So it's a lot, it's a lot of information to remember. And for and a lot of this is so new, um, that. As event planners who are coming up with this, we're not thinking, we have to really think about the end user experience. What is somebody walking into the experience going to feel? And assume that they know nothing and that they're um, a beginner. And how do we help curate the best experience possible for them so they're going to continue to come back and tell their friends? And we're working to destigmatize cannabis across all of our cultures and communities.
2: When you got started in the cannabis journey, what did you get right? And most importantly, what did you get wrong?
0: what did I get right? Oh man, I don't know. I'm just, I think really tapping into community and finding people who, and and finding a culture and community of people who align with what I believe in is really incredible. I would say there's the most incredible women I have met in cannabis are incredibly supportive and I would not be able to do what I do without them. Um, You know, I found an amazing community of AAPIs in cannabis, which for the first time in my life um, has made me feel like I belong. Like I've never felt like I really belonged with other like Asians growing up and finding everybody here. It's like, I'm like, oh, wow. Like, we're all kind of like the rebellious kids and aligning with people like that. Like we're not lazy, we're not dumb, we're not unsuccessful. And being able to kind of work through that with like our own like family traumas or intergenerational trauma and like um, finding healing in a community has been incredible. Uh, One of the things I got wrong, I think um, I came in with a lot of stereotypes, you know, Uh, a lot of habits and things like really learning about the racist history of cannabis prohibition and um, changing my language from saying things like black market to legacy market. Um, I think those are important. You know, I still make mistakes. I still make a lot of assumptions. I'm still learning a lot as I'm cooking and baking. Um, I'm trying to be open to hearing what do high dose medical users really need, right? What do high dose edibles users need and want? And how can I, I, I'm talking about low dose, but how can I adjust my recipes and my approach to cooking and baking that can accommodate and that can like serve them so that they can have better tasting edibles too because i'm sure that everybody wants to eat good food and we don't want to taste food that tastes like chlorophyll
2: and then <laughs> if you could sum up your experience in the main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation what would it be
0: Be open-minded, be curious, ask questions. There's so many incredible people who know so much and my mind has been opened by just meeting so many people. Even, you know, I grew up in a very, uh, you know, corporate traditional kind of um, life and experience and coming into the cannabis industry, people come from all different kinds of backgrounds and it doesn't make them any better or worse or whatever it is, like set aside whatever prejudices and things that you may have in your mind and come in with an open heart and an open mind to hear people out because People who've gone to jail, people who haven't gone to school, people have done like, you know, maybe been trappers or whole lives They have some of the most fascinating, most interesting perspectives um, to add to the story. And I think that and actually diversifying too, like surrounding yourself with people who are very diverse in this industry, because there's I see so many different facets of this here. And um, for me, I'm trying to find this place where like, where can my voice make the most difference? How can I help? destigmatize and bring in more people and teach people how to have a positive experience.
2: That's really well said. All right, prediction time. Christina, it's 2050. What does the world look and view infused meals as? Are there events or experiences that are currently happening in 2050?
0: 20 What is that? Like 30 years from now? 27. 27-ish. <laughs> Damn, I'm gonna be so. I'm gonna be like an old lady by then. Yeah, same. Um, (laughs) Like, oh man, what does that look like? You know, and but if you had asked me what, like, thirty years ago, what this would, I couldn't have imagined it. Culinary cannabis is not something that I imagined would even be a thing, and yet here we are, and it is, and it brings people together. I would like to hope that. It's legal. We're not facing this type of discrimination and like just unfairness around the world, and that this plant is being we're using food and cannabis to bridge cultures, to bridge conversations and bring people together. I mean, like probably we're going to be able to just buy cannabis infused food like off the shelves like you would any other. I think that would be cool, right? If you could go buy your package to this. I mean, it's already there, but it's at a dispensary. and, I would like for cannabis to be treated similar to how we look at alcohol and be available in the same way because alcohol is technically more damaging and it's more easily and readily available. And so I think if we can educate better and make it accessible. And you know what I also really dislike about a lot of... um The censorship that's going on right now is that there's a lot of censorship. So for me as a creator, it's difficult for me to put things out and educate and say the words and things like I'm going through and like covering up the words cannabis or like the California label when I'm making Instagram and like TikTok videos, because those get flagged by AI. And I do that out of necessity, but I think that that's actually bad because those labels are important and they're there for a reason. And if we're covering them up, then like it's defeating the entire purpose and like censorship doesn't work. So I hope that like all of our work will continue to push for more education. And like, I hope that it doesn't just become a Soylent type situation where it's like, I, I hope that culinary hands doesn't become just like a pharmaceutical and a pill that you can pop. I know that, that there is applications for that but I think the joys of eating and food and camaraderie and cannabis together is really the magic of the plant.
1: That's really well said. Kellen, you want to take a swing? Uh, I'm going to take a a wild swing here. I think that it will be interplanetary. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to go? (laughs) Yeah, right? I mean, like, there's a lot of uses to hemp and cannabis, right? There's nutritional value. We can make rope out of hemp. There's all these cannabinoids that are valuable for medicinal purposes, right? Sounds like a pretty good item to take with you if you're going to go cultivate items on another planet, right? And all the camaraderie stuff that we just mentioned, right? Helps people bring people close. So I'm going to say that there will be infused dinners in 2050 on other planets. That's my uh, bold prediction. (laughs)
0: What if we're not on planets and we're living in a post-apocalyptic zombie world?
2: Then oh, I'm going to need the infused, overdosed food.
1: <laughs> high dose, high dose. High
0: <laughs> very high, yeah. If I'm
1: fighting zombies, I'm going to need those
3: high doses on the road. All
1: right, you're fighting zombies. It's 2050, Brian. <laughs>
2: so for me, I, I think that, this is the big like barrier that can help change people's perspectives. I think with cannabis, everyone assumes smoking, which I know people have their stigmas with. But I think when people start mixing food with cannabis, it'll change perspectives. Because you can think about going to someone's house and someone's cooked a meal, prepared a home-cooked meal and that beautiful taste and smell when you walk in. If that's infused and lightly the way you described Christina, it changes people's perspectives almost instantaneous. And like, my hope one day is to go to one of these high-end, fancy restaurants and to have an infused dinner where it tastes as beautiful as it sounded today. Because I think that is a type of experience that, again, changes people's perspectives. And I think by 2050, hopefully we'll have high-end culinary restaurants that serve world-class meals that are infused.
0: You know what I like? I would like it to be not high end. I would like it to be casual and approachable yeah. that you can get right. The hot there is honestly like there is high end like fine dining dinners with the chefs and they do the 10 course and the blah, blah, whatever. I'm bored with that. Like only that's so inaccessible to the average person. And like, right, like, can I get a cannabis infused salad dressing or a drink just like I would? not Like, w- would you like it with or without? Can I go to a restaurant and a bar and order a cannabis drink instead of a glass of wine? I would love that because I don't really like drinking that much. It doesn't agree with me. But like, yeah, I agree. Like I just, you know, I was telling somebody yesterday that when like cannabis is love and when and food is love and I made a batch of, glazed pecans for her to bring to a friend's father who, um, is going through like medical treatments and really, really loves these. And so I made them and we were talking about it and I was like, you know, I'm like the, the pure act of her giving these to them of me making this to give to her for this person is an act of love and food is love because it's healing. It's nurture. It's nourishment. And um, when I worked at Pop and Barkley, that was, we would talk about that a lot, like this balm, this topical that's made that you give to someone to take away their pain, to take away their stress and like rubbing something on someone's body. That's pure love. And I think the more of that that can happen, the less, you know, we're going to start breaking apart that war on drugs and this like reefer madness 2.0 that's going on right now. 100%.
2: 100%. Really well said. Yeah. So for our listeners, they want to get in touch. They want to subscribe to your Substack to get some of these recipes. Where can they find you?
0: You can find me, um, easiest ways, on Instagram. I'm at flower, all one word spelled out. And on Substack, my Substack newsletter and podcast is fruitandflower.substack.com. My new podcast just dropped. It's available on um, Spotify, Apple Music, and Substack as well. So But my newsletter is the best way to find me. You can also check out my website.
2: Awesome. We'll link those up in the show notes. Thanks for taking the time. This was a lot of fun.
0: You're very welcome. It's a pleasure being here.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you.